Grace, mercy, and peace are yours in abundance from our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this afternoon is taken from St. John's Gospel, chapter 19. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. This is the word of our God. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, take him away. Three words that show the truth of Isaiah's prophecy written seven centuries before our Savior's birth. He was despised and rejected by mankind. Take him away. Three words that show the truth of Jesus' own prediction about his death. He said, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. Take him away. Three words that show the truth of St. John's observation about Jesus. He wrote, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Take him away. Three terrible words before us today. Words that were shouted in anger and hatred. Words that called for the death of God's one and only Son. And what a difference, huh? What a difference from the words of worship and praise, the hosannas that Jesus had heard just a few days before this. What can we learn, my friends, from these three terrible words, take him away? Well, I submit to you that in those words, we can see both the hatred that is in human hearts and the amazing grace that is in God's. Isn't it something? And isn't it just weird that anybody would have hated Jesus of Nazareth in the first place? Just stop and think about it for a second. What had Jesus done to earn anybody's hatred? Well, he traveled around the countryside, and he healed the sick, and he drove out demons, and he enabled the lame to walk again. He cured leprosy. He gave those who were blind their sight. He made the deaf able to hear again. He fed people, huge groups of people, with just a little bit of food. He even raised several people from the dead. And on top of all that, his most important work in traveling from place to place is that the whole time he was preaching and teaching the good news of the kingdom, the good news by which many were brought to him in faith, they became his children and had lives filled with comfort and peace and, of course, the gift of eternal life in heaven. Now, what in the world about all of that is hateful? Nothing. Jesus spoke a mouthful when he said, "...they hated me without reason." You know, many, if not most people in our world today, look at the human race and they say, well, people are basically good. Deep down inside, people are basically good. 
Psychologists, many of them even go as far as to say that when children are born into this world, they're born with pretty much a clean slate. They're, they're basically neutral. And then it depends on how they are raised, their environment, that will either push them toward being good people or the other direction toward being bad people. Many psychologists say that it's really all about nurture. Nurture. Our God says something very different in his word. There he talks about our sinful nature. The inclination toward evil that all of us are born with, inherited from our sinful parents. And my friends, it is that sinful nature in us that makes the words of the Apostle Paul true. He wrote, the sinful mind is hostile to God. Not neutral, not a clean slate. Hostile, God's enemies. And boy, do we see that hostility on proud display in the portion of God's word before us today. I mean, was there ever a day more filled with hatred and hostility than when sinful people, both Jews and Gentiles, put to death God's innocent son? Just how deep was their hatred of the Lord Jesus? Well, I refer you to a conversation in our text that took place between Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, and the chief priests, the religious leaders of the Jewish people. Pilate came out knowing that Jesus was innocent, and he said, Should I crucify your king? And they responded, We have no king but Caesar. Really? Really? Suddenly, these proud Jewish patriots, these fiercely nationalistic men, these men who went so far as to drive tax collectors out of the Jewish synagogues. Why? Well, because the tax collectors worked with their hated Roman occupiers to collect those taxes, and so they couldn't hold membership in the synagogue anymore. Suddenly, these men who hated the Romans are ready to say, we have no king at all but Caesar. Yeah, they hated the Romans, but they hated Jesus even more. They hated Jesus because on so many occasions, he made them look foolish as he pointed out their sin and their hypocrisy. They hated Jesus because he was taking away attention that they wanted for themselves. They hated Jesus because he so clearly told them that their good works, which they were so proud of and so relied on, weren't actually doing anything to put them in God's favor. And finally, they hated Jesus because he dared to claim to be the Messiah himself, God's one and only Son, which, of course, he is. You know, it's interesting that all of this happened right at the time of the Passover. And I don't think it's an accident that things happened at that time. The Passover was a very nationalistic holiday for the Jews, very patriotic occasion. You could even go as far as to say that Passover for them was kind of like their 4th of July. Remember, the Passover is how God delivered them from captivity and slavery in Egypt, brought them to the Promised Land, gave them a country of their own. Uh, and so they could get pretty excited at this time of year. In fact, Pontius Pilate most likely normally didn't spend much time in Jerusalem. He would have been at a much nicer palace over on the coast in a place called Caesarea Maritima. But he was in town at the time of the Passover because the Jews got excited. They could riot. They could revolt. And so he's there with his legions to maintain peace and order. 
Even at this nationalistic time, they're ready to say, we're Caesar's men. That's how much they hated Jesus. And by the way, do you know what the relationship between uh, the Jews and the Romans, do you know how it turned out? About 40 years after the events of our text, the Roman general Titus surrounded Jerusalem He destroyed the city. He leveled the temple, not one brick on another. And he killed many thousands of Jews. And about 60 years after that, the Romans came into town again to put down yet another rebellion. This time, they completely leveled the city, built their own Roman city on top of it, and gave it a Roman name. And at the place where the temple stood, they put up their own pagan temple, dedicated to the false god Jupiter. And then to add insult to injury, they kicked every last Jew out of Jerusalem. And yet on this occasion, these men are ready to side with Caesars, to side with Rome. They hated Jesus so much. Oh, the power, the, the terrible power of sin in the human heart. In our hearts too, Absolutely, in our hearts as well. My friends, aren't we often guilty of just wanting Jesus to go away? I mean, aren't there times we want Jesus to just be out of the picture so that we can be free to do whatever it is that we want to do? Jesus, things are going really well in my life right now, um, so you're not going to hear from me much. Uh, I don't really feel much need for you. Um, But when I do feel the need, uh, then I will certainly come calling. But for now, you can just go away. Jesus, we know what you say in your word about sex outside of the bonds of marriage, but we love each other. And it's financially better for us if we just stay unmarried. So we're going to do that. If we should decide one day that we are going to get married, then we're going to call on you and we will expect your presence and your blessing in our lives. But for now, you can just go away. Lord Jesus, I'll be in your house on Sunday morning. You know I'm in your house every single week, but the time in between services, those other days of the week, those are my days, that's my time, and I'm going to spend them exactly how I want to. During those days, you can go away. I'll see you on the weekend. Lord Jesus, I'm going on the internet now, and you might want to turn away. You might want to turn your back. You might want to just go away because I'm going to look at some things that won't be very pleasing to you. Finally, my friends, isn't every sin, every sinful thought and desire, word and action, isn't everyone like pointing to Jesus and saying, take him away, take him away? Well, thank God that they did. Yes, my friends, we can get down on our knees and give thanks and praise and honor and glory to our God that they did take Jesus away. In fact, they took him all the way to the cross and to the tomb. And John, the gospel writer, reports all of this rather matter-of-factly. He doesn't get emotionally involved, it seems. He just reports the facts. Uh, They sentenced Jesus. They marched him out to Golgotha. They crucified him between a couple of other criminals. And you know something? The crowds jeered and brayed for his death. Take him away, take him away, crucify him. But by and large, Jesus was pretty silent. I'm reminded of Isaiah's words. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. You see, Jesus just carried out his Father's saving plan with quiet and passive dignity. 
And by the way, that plan was beautifully foreshadowed by the Passover. Go back to the Passover once again. Remember the first Passover when God delivered his people from captivity, the final plague in which God said, I'm going to send my destroying angel and he's going to kill every last of the firstborn in the whole land of Egypt from people all the way down to animals and livestock. Except for you, my people, this is what you are to do. You are to get a lamb. And by the way, a year-old, male, perfect lamb without any blemish at all. And you're to slaughter it at twilight and collect the blood from its slit throat. And take that blood and paint it on the door frames of your houses. And then when my destroying angel comes to do his terrible work, he's going to pass over your homes and he will spare you. And by this, my friends, God taught the Israelites a lasting and important lesson. They were saved by the blood of a perfect lamb. But you know something? An even greater rescue mission happened at the place called Golgotha. And there was blood there too. There was definitely blood. But this blood was different. It wasn't just animals' blood. It was the blood of both God and man, Jesus Christ. Holy, perfect, precious, priceless blood. The blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The blood that drips down, washes down from his holy wounds all over you and makes you clean. The blood that separates your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. The blood that makes it so that in God's eyes you are clean and holy and perfect and justified. The blood that causes God to never count your sins against you ever again. My friends, through faith in that Lamb of God who shed that precious blood, our God bequeaths to us a priceless gift, a glorious future. St. John, who was a witness to our Lord's crucifixion, one of his closest disciples, the writer of our text, the writer of the Gospel, also wrote the book called Revelation, in which God granted him visions of future glory and eternal victory. And this is what he wrote about the victory Jesus won for us. He said, Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know... And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Our forgiveness, our future, that's why Jesus allowed all of this to happen. That's why Jesus went all the way to Golgotha in our place to fulfill his Father's gracious plan. That's why Jesus allowed himself to be nailed to that cross and to suffer in our place the hellish shame and punishment that we deserved. You see, Jesus would rather go to hell in our place than be in heaven without us. And so that's exactly what he did. Take him away. Take him away. Harsh words on our ears, right? Hateful words. Words spoken in unbelief. Words of rejection. And yet, my friends, if you're quiet and you listen carefully, you can hear the words of God's grace in those words, can't you? Because again, Jesus allowed all of this to happen to him. He allowed himself to be taken away. On that first Good Friday, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. 
You see, on that day, our God did what he always does best. He took terrible, terrible evil, and he turned it into eternal good for you and for me and for all who trust in his Son. Take him away. Again, my friends, thank God that they did. Amen.